Hi, everyone. This is your host, Greg Myers, and this episode is part of our special series focused on diversity and inclusion. In this series, I will be talking with leaders in the payments industry and maybe some experts from outside of the industry about diversity and inclusion. It has been proven that a diverse workforce and diverse management team leads to increased creativity, better decision-making, reduced employee turnover, and increased profit, as well as many other benefits that we will be talking about. This special series is brought to you by the WNET and PaySafe. Please join the WNET on November 10th for a new webinar with executive coach Diane Bolden, where she'll explain how to gain and sustain buy-in, support, and follow-through to have better influence with others. Register at WNETonline.org. PaySafe is a leading global specialized payments provider. They've been driving innovation in and around payments for over 25 years all over the globe for both businesses and consumers. PaySafe believes diversity and inclusion is not just a checkbox, but rather a journey in which they are fully committed to being on around the world. Learn more at PaySafe.com. I'm honored to be joined on this very first episode by Gail Burgos. Gail serves as Senior Diversity and Inclusion Manager at Global Payments. Prior to the merger of Global Payments and TSIS in 2009, Gail was the Senior Diversity and Inclusion Manager of TSIS. She was with Legacy TSIS for more than 20 years, serving in a variety of leadership positions at the company. In her current role, Gail leads Global Payments efforts to continue to build its inclusion and diversity efforts across the company. Prior to her current responsibilities, she served as the senior advisor to the chief information officer, supporting all business lines and aspects of the information technology business at Legacy Thesis. Gail received her bachelor's degree in business administration from Columbus State University, a master's degree in human resource management from Troy State University, and a doctorate in organizational theory and leadership from the University of Phoenix. Gail currently serves on the board for Greater Columbus Chapter of Partners in Education and Girls, Inc. in Georgia, as well as on the board of the WNET. She is also an active member of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority, Inc. We've got a great episode ahead, so let's get started. Hi, Gail. Welcome to this special series of the Leaders in Payments podcast exclusively about diversity and inclusion. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Greg, for having me. I am truly honored and just excited. So thank you. Tell our audience a little bit about yourself, maybe where you grew up, where you went to school, maybe a few things like that. Sure. I am originally from St. Louis, Missouri, born there and raised, however, between Detroit, Michigan and Georgia. My father was retired military. He went through infantry out of Fort Benning. And as most who actually ended up retiring from Columbus and from Fort Benning, they like to come back and establish themselves in Columbus. So that's how I ended up in Columbus. I would probably now consider myself a native of Columbus, Georgia, since I've been here for well over 30 years. So I have been Southernized, as my family say, but that's my background. And I ended up actually graduating and attending college here in Columbus, Georgia. And so I received my undergraduate in business administration. I received my master's in human resource management, and I have a doctorate in organizational leadership. Okay, great. So I think everyone listening will know your company, TSIS or Global Payments. 
So I don't think you have to explain a lot about what you do. Maybe talk about your role there today. Sure, be happy to. I have been with Legacy TSIS, now Global Payments, for 25 years. I did start out on the business side in relations, working with customers, our clients, and our clients being banks themselves. Capital One, back in the day, it was Sears, Roebuck, Bank of America, first time they was with us. And so over the years, I then transitioned over into IT. Prior to my role today, I was actually a chief of staff for the former CIO of the company. And it was during that time that we had a conversation in her office one day and she said, I need for you to go meet with the human resource officer of our company. And I said, sure, be happy to. I did. After about a week following that conversation, he called me back and he said, I have an opportunity for you. And I said, sure. And he said, well, we are looking to start our very first diversity and inclusion program of our company. We've talked about it for a some years, but we've never any formal money or structure around actually having it as a formal program. And based on your background, based on your tenure and your knowledge, we feel like this would be a great opportunity for you. So I went home, Greg, to be quite honest with you, and the research in the work in the vein of diversity and inclusion for my own recollection. And I came back the next day and decided to put my name in the hat for the opportunity. And so fast forward, after an interview process, I was selected and I am the first diversity and inclusion officer of Legacy TSIS, now Global Payments. Okay. And when did that happen? In 2018. It was February 2018, to be honest with you. I was in that role, as I said before, supporting the chief of staff. And so I had to transition. First, I had to find me a replacement. And then I needed to transition out of that role and to start in the current role, being the diversity officer. It took me a couple months, but by June, I was able to do so. And I really appreciate our executive leader at the time, who is now the chairman of the board, Troy Woods, who gave me the opportunity to do a couple things. Number one, He allowed me to do my own research, to educate myself more on diversity and inclusion. And I appreciated that time because I was able to go out and see what our customers, such as Cap One and Bank of America, what they were doing in the work of diversity and inclusion. I was able to start to build my own network of other diversity officers and to have those conversations with them and to gather best practices that they incorporated into their organization. And then, of course, I was able to take training and attend forums and seminars to start to educate myself. All of that to say, I was able to come back by August of that year and to come up with a roadmap and a plan of what our program for our culture and for our company, what that will look like and be able to introduce that to the executives. And so it was well received and we have been moving forward since then. Great. Let's think about August of 2018. Were there a lot of companies that had formal programs in place at that time? Yeah, there actually were. Looking over the fintech industry and looking at the successful companies, the large ones that were around, there were several that had successful programs that I was able to research, to look at, to see what they had done really well. But, you know, diversity and inclusion, it was not something that was new. It had become very popular, of course, over the past 
several years now, but it actually had been around for 20 plus years. And so looking at the maturity state, many of the companies who were older companies, their diversity program and their dynamics looked very different because they were very focused on diversity management and representation. Whereas your younger companies, when you start to look at the Amazons and the Googles of the world, their diversity strategy was a little different. It was about inclusivity. How do you help your environment and your culture be more inclusive? And so you would even see, even just a couple of years ago, that even the word inclusion became first and foremost before diversity. So many of the newer programs were called inclusion and diversity versus diversity and inclusion. And so that was just that difference between what I was seeing in the industry as compared to now. But it was all about taking those best practices again and applying to the culture of legacy thesis and global payments. Okay. Well, let's talk about diversity and inclusion at the 50,000 foot level. So what does it mean to you? Like, how do you define diversity and inclusion? Sure. That's always a great question. And I will tell you, in the vein of diversity and inclusion, it's just that. It is just as diverse of how people perceive it because everyone is different and every organization is different. But if I had to do it to your point at the 50-foot view, diversity is simply, in layman's terms, representation. And there are over 50 dimensions of diversity that you can look at. I think the most common that most people see and that they are able to connect most readily with are around race and gender. But there are so many more. There's age, there's geographical locations, but the most common are gender and ethnicity. And inclusion is about the environment that allows diversity to thrive. It's where you create and you allow and you do activities and you help people feel a sense of belonging and that their diversity and their own representation of who they are has a place to reside in. You all here in the world of diversity and inclusion, diversity is being invited to the party, but inclusion is being asked to dance. And I like to think of inclusion taking it a step further is being able to even select the music that the DJ is playing. So it cannot be without the other. In order for diversity to thrive, inclusion has to be present. And one of the quotes that I came up with is that diversity is reality, but inclusion is a choice. That's very powerful. I like that. So you took on this role and it was new to the company. So you spent some time doing some research, putting together your thoughts, and it was well-received. What is TSIS doing today, and what do you see that works, and why do you think it works? Well, first and foremost, I think not only with TSIS and Global Payments, but any successful D&I program or IND program has to have executive leadership from the top truly championing and bought into the program. It cannot be successful without that. And it is more than just a PR message. As you heard me before, I really appreciated the sincerity of our leadership when we started this program, that they were all on board. That's what it takes. And in any successful program that you look at, you have your executive leadership that is behind it 100%. The second thing that I feel that we've done and other successful programs have been able to do is to be candid and to be transparent and to be open and honest about where you are 
with your benchmark and where you're starting, there's never a perfect place. If you look around many of the companies, including legacy thesis and global payments, the representation is typically dominant one over the other. And most longevity companies, the ones who are more mature, have seasoned white male leadership at the top. And so because of that, your diversity management and your strategy is to allow and to progressively move to allow that representation to be more diverse. That is the goal. And so you put that at the foremost at the corporate strategy as part of your program that you want to strive for. That is absolutely critical to do. And then the third part of it is inclusion. It takes work every single day to create and to have an inclusive environment where people really do feel that they have some belonging. But you can't just say that in a nice PR message. It takes the activities. It takes the conversation. It takes getting to know the people that are on your team every single day, you know, to ask, how are you doing? To understand their strengths, their weaknesses, to understand who they are and their personalities. And again, that doesn't happen just with one cultural practice that happens every single day and over time. So those are the things that I'm excited that my company is working on. And I've seen throughout the industry that other successful programs, they're taking that same charge and doing the exact same thing. And what doesn't work today? What doesn't work today? (laughs) I would say if I had to sum it up, full 100% commitment is a challenge. And again, that's based on perspectives and you have to appreciate that. You have to be willing to meet every perspective where they are. And society and the things that are happening in the world, Greg, all plays a part in that. It's like the mind processes information. It processes your experience. It processes the stereotypes and the biases that we all have, right? All of that plays a huge part in how receptive we are, our behavior to others. All of that is completely relevant. So the work, and I won't say what doesn't work, but I would say the challenge. That's a better way to phrase it. The challenge that happens today is around helping each other and helping those around you and helping the leaders and the team members understand their own implicit bias, whether it's conscious or unconscious, and what are they doing to improve themselves? You know, I like to say each day, it's like working out and to transform your body or to build up a muscle, right? Don't just join the gym and expect your muscles to appear. You have to actually go and open that door go inside and get on a machine and dedicate yourself to really working out. Well, inclusion is the same way in overcoming your own biases and stereotypes and hard wiring that we all have. It takes exercise. It takes work. You have to be willing to work at that every single day. And that's uncomfortable. As human beings, we all are in this place of being comfortable and not wanting to change sometimes, but that's what it takes to overcome that. I won't call it as something that doesn't work, but it's more of a challenge. Makes a lot of sense. So I like to think of it and kind of break it down into kind of three buckets or levels within the company and things that I know have to happen. One, you've talked a little bit about it already, is the executive level. So having that buy-in is key to success. But then you have sort of the mid-management level, and then you have the whole new employees or hiring process. So maybe give a little perspective on those kind of three 
areas of a company and how the dynamics are there when you're talking about the programs you guys have put in place? Absolutely. It takes all three areas to be on board and to understand foremost the mission and the goals and the strategy, to internalize it and to feel how are they a part of the journey. And that's exactly what it is. It is a journey. You know, it's not a sprint. It takes time to implement the program. I like to think of it as breaking it down into parts, manageable parts. What are you going to accomplish in the next six to 18 months? What do you want to accomplish in 18 to 36? And then what do you want to accomplish in 36 to further out? And I think at the executive level, speaking on the first, that's very important for them to have the program and have the timelines and have the specific tasks and the strategy that you want to be able to accomplish at the corporate level because it has impacts across budget, management, and meeting those goals and meeting those targets. That's very important. And plus, continuously putting that message out there so people are understanding where we're wanting to go as a company. At the middle management level and having that embraced and internalized down is very critical as well because your middle management are the ones that are really having more of the hands-on touching and interfacing with your team members in the workforce in a much more personable space. And so ensuring that they understand, again, the strategy, that they themselves are also working on what we call inclusive leadership, right? That subculture that is indoctrined by different locations. So every location has its own subculture. It has its own demographics. It has its own dynamics of people. And you have to understand that. You have to be plugged into that. And so that's where our middle management plays such a huge, huge part of making sure inclusive leadership is being done and executed on a regular basis. And so the next level, as we talk about your frontline workers, the majority of your workforce, they are feeling that and they are looking to our middle management and to our executive leadership, not only for the mission and the statement, but they're looking to say, okay, what are you doing to ensure that I have a place where I can thrive, where I can quote unquote, be my authentic self. But what does that really mean? How do you bring that to life? And it takes the actions of our middle management. It takes the actions of their teams that they have. And then, of course, it takes the actions of our executive leadership to back all of that up. And then our team members, our employee and our workforce, they have a role too. They're not off the cuff here, not saying that they don't have a critical part because they do. They also have to work at inclusivity and making sure that they are embracive and receptive of people who are different than them. And guess what? We're all different. We're all different. We all have our own biases that we have to work on. But that's the beauty of inclusivity. That's the beauty of allowing people to bring their gifts and their talents to the table to be collaborative. That's where innovation starts. That's where the beauty of all of these wonderful ideas and having a diverse perspective really, really comes from. And so that all plays a huge part. If I would put a nice big bow on it, when we talk about diversity results in the financial benefits of a company and the success of a company, it starts there. It starts with the innovative, diverse perspectives being brought to light and people 
not only the workforce, your middle management, your executive leadership, all understanding the importance of that. Absolutely. One thing we haven't touched on is the hiring process. And I think that's a huge, I won't say challenge, but I think it's something that you sort of take for granted that the hiring manager is going to do the right thing. And maybe they don't always do that, right? What do you guys do or what's your view on how to remove biases that are so natural in that whole hiring process? It definitely follows with having a plan and a process in place being very intentional about the things that in order to incorporate diversity and diverse representation into the hiring practice, there has to be a plan. There has to be a tactical, intentional approach to what you're doing. And that can happen in three areas. Number one, like you said, with the hiring approach, making sure that you are recruiting and that you're raising the awareness and that you're marketing to diverse audiences. And not just saying, I am marketing to diverse audiences, you're being intentional about actually going to those places where diverse representation is a majority rather than a minority. Here's an example. Partnership with historically Black colleges and universities is one of the initiatives that many, many of the Fortune 500 companies and the successful companies that have thriving DNI programs, that's exactly what they're doing. They're being very intentional about partnering with HBCUs where there is talent in various aspects. It doesn't just have to be the payment industry. Of course, it could be insurance. It could be healthcare and the whole nine. But that is one intentional area where your diverse minority, African-American, Black representation happens to be as a new talent pool, as a new source, is to go there. There are also a plethora of associations and organizations that you can also partner with to ensure that diverse representation is also being sought after, whether it comes for the women's organizations, LGBTQ, or some other organizations, and so forth. So just being, again, very intentional about your target audience and where you're marketing to and having that as part of your plan is very important. From a recruiting perspective, our marketing team does a great job with not only the graphics that they actually show of real people, not just some pretty pictures of diverse representation, but actually taking actual team members and employees that are diverse and showing that on our various social media sites are very important. And then, of course, lastly, actually building those relationships with those historically Black colleges, with those nonprofit organizations that represent diverse sources is absolutely critical when we talk about talent acquisition and the things that they should be doing. And then the last part is having diverse slates. Not only do you have the diverse candidates, but making sure that in the interview process itself, that diverse representation is part of that process. You're not only masking the names sometimes of those candidates and their gender or their ethnicity from the application, but when you actually get into the interview process, that you have diverse representation that is also part of that process, that interview process as well. So it doesn't negate, it doesn't completely remove all of the biases, but those are some of the common practices, Greg, that many companies are now putting into place that helps to start to remedy that. Great. Global Payments has 24,000 employees. You're in 100 countries. That's a lot of people. How do you manage to make this a successful initiative program 
when there's so many people all over the globe, it's got to be a huge challenge. How do you do that? It is. It is a huge challenge. But you know, it's what I get up every single day to do. I'm charged. It's part of my purpose. It's part of my passion. One of the things I learned early on as being the chief of staff for the former CIO, and she taught me this. She said, Gail, one of the things you should do, never just send out a message. But if you want people to believe in that message, she said, you delivered in person. And so I did. I had the pleasure prior to COVID-19 of actually traveling to many of the offices and the locations around the world and actually talking to the people there, understanding that subculture, understanding the people there and having conversations with them. That was so important to know because when we talk about a corporate strategy, it had to be fluid enough to the place where it could be implemented across the board. And so if we're looking at worldwide locations, the approach had to be something that was applicable for all. And that was important to understand, first and foremost, the dynamics of those locations. But one of the great things, too, is now we're in the midst of the pandemic and we've all had to make pivotal changes, right, and adjustments. And the beauty of even what we're doing here today over virtual vacation has been so, so critical and so important. People did worry early on, you know, they said, oh my goodness, inclusivity is going to take a hit because you can't do so many activities in person anymore. But I beg to differ is that now I see inclusivity has, at least here at Global Payments and Thesis, has taken an uprise because, number one, people are working from home, but as they're working from home, they're willing to show more of themselves, the true selves. And so you do see their environment, their home, they're relaxed, how they dress. Many oftentimes, if you get them to turn the camera on, which we start to encourage more of, you got people to start really being who they are and showing you who they are. And productivity actually, Greg, went up. We saw people more relaxed and they're not caught up in that crazy back-to-back-to-back-to-back-to-back meetings and running from one place to another. And while they're busy, they're still able to be themselves. Now, I'm not saying that that was the perfect scenario and that has been completely how 100% of the people around the world have been able to operate because, again, the personality varies from person to person. And some people are extremely extrovertal. And being working from home has definitely taken a toll on their personality. But for the most part, being able to connect virtually with so many more people rather than just being in person has actually been a thumbs up for, you know, the work around inclusion. And so it has been a challenge, but it's been fun. Great. So let's talk about the industry as a whole. What's your view on how we're doing as an industry? I'm sure through the position that you have, you hear about other industries and maybe you can compare a little bit, but how do you think payments is doing and what more can we do as an industry to expand the adoption of these programs and companies beyond the ones that have them today? Very good question. I think there's always room for growth and improvement. And like I said, diversity and inclusion has been around for 20 plus years now. It's nothing new, but I think certainly with the world events that are happening today, particularly here in the United States around social inequality and racial unjust has sparked more of a visibility around what needs to be done and can be done in the work of diversity and inclusion. 
I see just over the past six months, since June, actually, not even the full six months, but since June, many organizations, including my own, have taken a very adamant stance on the things that are happening in society. That has propelled the movement and the call to action. But I also am very excited about that. Do not get me wrong at all. And we see that with many of our customers, our clients, and not just in fintech. We see that across the board, insurance, and many other telecommunications and many other organizations. But I also, I'm excited and I like to bring to attention that with every moment, it negates into a movement. And so we look back over history and how the significant progress of the civil rights movement came from moments that triggered that movement to happen. We also look at the Stonewall riots as a movement, but they were triggered by moments in history that made it a significant impact. And the same thing with the women's rights to vote. We just celebrated this year, you know, 100 years of that happening. And it was, again, a movement that came from moments in time. At any time, there's a transformational change, a significant change where policies and programs and procedures are being impacted significantly. It is the result of more than just a minority of people coming together to have a voice, to have an impact, but it's a majority. And that's what we're seeing now. And many of our companies are internalizing that. They are listening and they're taking their own calls to actions as a result. And so that's what's happening in the industry today at this very moment that has now resulted, what I would say, into movement. So very excited about the things that are happening. Great. And what advice would you give a company that wants to start a DNI initiative at their company? The very first advice, definitely have your executive leadership on board. That is critical. Again, having that commitment there from your CEO, from your president, from the members of your ELT, then having them decide what it is that they want to accomplish in the next six to 18 months, 18 to 36 and so forth. That is the very first step. After that, you have a champion that is going to be dedicated to helping be responsible for those programs, the things that you're coming up with as a corporate strategy, developing number two, a council, having an advisory council, executive DNI, IND Council is also very important because this is made up of leaders throughout the company and people who are passionate and champion to help with the execution. We talked about those three levels that you mentioned before, the executive, the middle management, and the workforce, but your IND Council is made up. They are part of that. So the arms and the legs of a program that helps the execution happen as well. They act as an advisory, not only to the officer, but to the ELT. And then your ERGs. I would say another important aspect is to also have employee resource groups. Employee resource groups tend to be a very critical part of engagement, cultural awareness, and of course, the celebration. But I like to charge people, particularly the ERGs, to say, let's educate, let's influence, and then celebrate in that order. I think the education and the conversations and the cultural awareness are something that are absolutely important as part of the mission and the goals of your ERGs to indoctrine, along with the celebratory items as well. Because everyone loves a party. 
Everyone <laughs> loves the fun and the food. And that gets your attention. Don't get me wrong. You get invited to the party because it's fun. But once I get your attention and once I get you there, let me educate you. Let me raise your awareness about this particular culture or community or what have you. I do charge our ERGs to do that. Those are your basic, your EOT, your council, your ERGs, and of course, your champion there to keep it all going. Well, Gail, we've covered a lot of ground on this topic. I know that we could talk for a long time. I think we've covered a lot of what I would call the basics and things that companies need to do and ways they can learn and and improve. Is there anything else you want to cover or any specific message you'd like to leave our audience with? I do have just one message. I think it's important for each of us, every person, to evaluate themselves you know, every day to be willing to grow, to be willing to be uncomfortable in order to get comfortable, right? We have to almost unlearn that hardwiring that we have and put a pause on that reactive response that has been programmed in our behavior pattern since we were born. And once we realize that, it's not enough just to take a self-assessment of your own implicit bias and say, okay, you know, have some biases, but what are you going to do about it? Take that charge every day to work on just one aspect. That's all it is need. Just work on one thing that helps you become a better ally. You may not be a representative of a particular group or community or identification of one of those 50 dynamics that I just talked about, or you may be in multiple parts of that dynamics. There are others who are outside of those dynamics other than you. And so to be embracive, to be an ally, to appreciate diverse perspectives, then it takes that opportunity for you to grow and for you yourself to challenge yourself that aspect every day. And so that would be my leading words is to bring embracing diversity and fostering inclusion to reality, to life. And that's something that all of us can be charged with doing. So thank you so much for having me. I've enjoyed our time in our conversation. Yeah, me too. So much. Thank you so much for being here. I know that you're very busy, so I want to be sensitive to that. But I really do appreciate everything you've shared. And that last comment, there's absolutely nothing I could add to it. That was a perfect wrap up. And so thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I enjoyed it. That was Gail Bargos from Global Payments, kicking off our special series on diversity and inclusion. The next episode features Afshin Yazdian, the CEO for U.S. Acquiring at PaySafe. Without the support of our sponsors, the WNET and PaySafe, we wouldn't be able to bring you this special series. The WNET, or the Women's Network and Electronic Transactions, is celebrating 15 years of helping women achieve greater personal success, influence, and professional parity in the payments industry. WNET is a not-for-profit organization with a mission of creating a stronger and more diverse industry by empowering and investing in women. Learn how at WNETonline.org. And PaySafe invites you to learn more about PaySafe, their offerings, international culture, and unique team by visiting PaySafe.com. You can learn more about the entire Diversity and Inclusion series at our website, leadersinpayments.com.